It's Cofield and Company, live on the road. The top, Theodore, to the left. Eichel in the middle, Stevenson. Smith scores! Great puck movement again by the Knights. It's a power play goal. Five, three, Vegas. Riley Smith scores his second of the game. He's got three points today, and the Knights are back to a two-goal lead. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Tuesday, we're on location at Sierra Gold. It's Cofield and Company on Eastern, 9465 Eastern. Adam Hill is with us as well. We got a lot to get into with the Raiders because I'm not happy on a lot of fronts with what we're seeing from this Las Vegas team on and near the field. Adam Hill, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm trying to still process everything that happened last night. A wild game, both during and after. And uh, I think we can we have a lot to talk about today. And it's also the start of hockey season. This is wild. Yes. yes. I was going to say, if you thought that uh, Golden Knights fans were a bit uh, bitter, angry, <laughs> in a bad mood after uh, not making the playoffs, right? We're very spoiled here as a hockey market. Uh, don't even compare it to the Raiders fans who are beside themselves. Uh, let's get into what's going on tonight. We've got a doubleheader on ESPN. Yes, ESPN is back, which is awesome for hockey. Another year here. Uh, they've got the Lightning and the Rangers starting up tonight on the broadcast team in the game between the Knights and the Kings, and that'll be on ESPN, is uh, Brian Boucher. He's up with Cofield and company to open the show here. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Well, let's talk about uh, all the coverage tonight, starting with uh, what ESPN is rolling out with the point into the two games. Yeah, I mean, look, it's an exciting night. Uh, you know, as an ex-player, uh, you get excited for two nights. Uh, one is opening night in, in, in the regular season, and, and two is the start of the playoffs. And, and it's no change for when you transition over to being a broadcaster. It's an exciting night for, for us as well, and obviously a doubleheader and, and, uh, and the point starting things off. So it's a, it's a fun night. Uh, the off season is always great. Uh, to have your summers off, but we are certainly excited to, to get started once again and be uh, bringing hockey uh, to the fans. How big is this exposure for the league, just to not only be on ESPN and all the great things that ESPN brings to a broadcast, but just the fact that it's kind of out there in the public eye so much again uh, that's kind of been missing for a while? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's great. I mean, I think whenever you, um, you know, in the United States, when you think about sports, the first thing you think about is ESPN, right? And although there's been other outlets that have carried hockey or covered hockey uh, over the last decade plus, it's not ESPN. And the fact that the NHL is back here on ESPN, I think it's huge. Uh, The exposure has been fantastic. I think year one went very well, uh, you know, for covering uh, the NHL again on ESPN. I think it'll only get better here in year number two of a a seven-year contract. So, I'm excited to be a, a part of this team, and uh, you know I had a lot of fun last year, and I'm looking forward to another great year this year. So let's talk about the Golden Knights, who do, of course, open the season tonight in L.A. against the Kings. I guess what is kind of the, the national perception of where this franchise is after so much success early, uh, the injuries that kind of cost them a season last year, and now uh, looking to rebuild back into a playoff team. What is the perception of this team? I think, you know, a lot of people think this team still still has the makings of a, a group that can, can be a playoff team that could potentially put all put it all together, can uh, can be a dangerous team come springtime, but there's there's some ifs, there's some question marks, right? There's you know, there's some health concerns uh, to certain key players. 
I think there's uh, some question marks in goal as to whether or not uh, a tandem of Logan Thompson and most likely Lauren Brossois as he gets healthy, uh, can they be a tandem that uh, leads this team into the playoffs and beyond? Um, you know, can Jack Eichel finally, you know, deliver on what I think has been lofty expectations uh, bestowed upon him, and that's to be a guy that is uh, a 95-plus point guy in the NHL and a, and a guy that is a, a true number one star center in this league. So, you know, there are question marks, but I think when you look at this group and you look down the middle of the ice, they're finally a team that has, you know, three centermen that you're like, yeah, you can see it, right? Huh. Jack Eichel is a star center as their number one. Chandler Stevenson, I think, is slotted perfectly as a number two center. I don't think he's a number one. And I think William Carlson, you know, slides into that three hole, and he's a guy that's kind of like a two-way center, 200-foot guy that you can really rely on that can maybe be more of a shutdown guy. You know, so when you build your team down the middle, you got that, you like it, and then you love the back end. I mean, they're, they're back in their deep core, one of the best deep cores in the National Hockey League. So those are things to get positive, you know, to get excited about, but there are some question marks that only time will tell of how it plays out. Brian Boucher from ESPN. Check out the broadcast tonight. Golden Knights playing the Kings. That's a big one. Doubleheader uh, on ESPN tonight, which we are very much looking forward to, uh, to see how this season goes with the injuries that the uh, Knights dealt with last year. We expect them to be uh, healthier. I mean, you never know what you can count on in terms of health, but uh, you would expect a little bit uh, of more favorable situations in terms of the health of the Golden Knights. The question marks uh, certainly uh, are with the team, but I want to get into something you talked about with the goaltending situation. Uh, obviously, there are some question marks about you know how these guys, Logan Thompson, uh, Laurent Brossois, when he's healthy, Aiden Hill, uh, how they can hold up for a full season if they can carry a team to the playoffs. But what we've been told is that this is a very favorable system for goaltenders. So first, I just want to ask, how important is a system for goaltenders? Like a lot of people just say, hey, just stop the puck. But systems matter to goaltenders too, right? Oh, they're huge. I mean, uh, first of all, sorry for any technical difficulties no, with uh, the connection there. But um, it's huge. I mean, uh, you know, when you're a goaltender and, and you, you can play in a system that is very predictable, uh, that you know where the shots will be coming from, that, that takes, you know, 50% of the, the problems out of the way. And I think that the system that, that they played under in Pete DeBoer, they wanted to be aggressive. They wanted to play more of a man-on-man. And, and when, you, you know, when, it, when you play on your toes and, and, and you have your legs, that system can be very effective. But when there's breakdowns, there are breakdowns. And you, and, and you can give up a real um, a, a lot of quality. And I, and I think that can be a difficult system for goaltenders to play in. Under this system with Bruce Cassidy, more of a zone defense. You're going to keep everything in front of you. I think the biggest challenge for guy for the goaltenders is going to be that they're going to have to fight through some traffic on some point shots that are coming from the outside. And sometimes those shots, you know, they're seeing eye shots and they can get through. But for the most part, that's pretty much what you're going to be dealing with. And, and I think for a goaltender, that that is something that can um, you know that can really be comforting. And if you look at the track record of Bruce Cassidy and the teams that he's had in Boston, don't look at the time in Washington. That was early on in his career. But in Boston, his teams are very good defensively and always in the top ten in, in goals again. So I suspect that, you know, as long as the situation is not overwhelming for a guy like Logan Thompson, uh, as far as, uh, you know, play 45, 50, 50 games in the NHL, if it's not overwhelming in that sense, I think it's going to be fine. I don't think it's going to be that much of a question mark. But again, like I said, only time will tell. But, you know, my, um, I, I suspect that this team will defend well. I think they'll protect their goaltenders. 
And I think there'll be a team that's right there uh, knocking on a, uh, on a door for, for a playoff spot come, come springtime. You, you did mention Jack Eichel. You talked about the centers for this team. But I just want to spe- specifically focus on Jack Eichel for a minute because I think Vegas fans got introduced to him last year, but they didn't see the real him. He'd been out for a long time. He was just working his way back to health. How good is Jack Eichel? Uh, I think Jack Eichel's a star. I mean, uh, you know, we, we think of you know Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid and, and Austin Matthews as the, the top three centermen in the National Hockey League, and rightly so. I, I think Jack Eichel is, you know, knocking on that door of being close to those guys, maybe a tear underneath those guys, but still, those guys are outstanding players, like the, the top of the top. So if Jack Eichel is just a notch underneath that, it's still a very high-end number one center on your team. And you think about this Vegas franchise, they, I mean, they've had a group of guys that you know were cast-offs from other teams and had a chip on their shoulder, but they, they've always lacked that number one star center. Jack Eichel is that. Jack Eichel is a guy that... He can, he can push on 95 to 100 points. He can be a power play guy. He can be a puck possession guy. He can carry pucks into the zone under control so that they can play more of a, you know, more of a puck possession game. I think for Eichel, it's been a frustrating go to his NHL career just because of the fact that he was in Buffalo and a franchise that was really rebuilding. And then the injury started. This is going to be a fresh start, a good, a good clean off season for him where he's able to train uh, the way he wanted to. And I think with a, a new coach, a new approach, I think this team is hungry. I, I, I think these players in this Vegas Golden Knights team recognize a big opportunity here to kind of, you know, they, they want to prove some people wrong. And I think at the top of that list is a guy like Jack Eichel. I think he's a guy that has a lot to prove, uh, and I think he's going to have a huge year for this Golden Knights team. Uh, last guy I wanted to ask about is this Phil Kessel, obviously a, a popular kind of charismatic type of a player. Uh, does he still have anything left in the tank? He does, and I'll tell you where he's going to help you. I mean, everybody talks about the power play and the inefficiency of the power play last year for this Vegas Golden Knights team. Eichel's going to be a big part of their first unit, but I think that second unit, they're going to score more goals than people think uh, with this team, and Kessel is going to be a big part of it because, yeah, he can shoot the puck, he can rip it, he's got 399 goals, but he's an underrated passer. And I think on that second unit, he's going to be a guy that's threading the needle cross team to Jonathan Marchessault, or finding Carlson in the bumper, or finding Petrangelo up top, so that that second unit can be as dangerous as the top unit. So I think for Kessel, look, he's been in Arizona where their team was atrocious the last three years, and maybe he lost a little bit of juice uh, as far as showing up to the rink. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he's excited to play here in Vegas. I think I still think he has some game in him, uh, and not just taking up minutes just so that he can get the Iron Man streak. I think he's going to put up some points with this Golden Knights team. I think he's going to do it a lot on, on the second power play unit. 7 o'clock tonight, game goes down, uh, Kings and VGK. Bob Wischusen on the call along with Brian Leah Hextall as well. And, of course, the uh, studio team uh, wrapping around and uh, covering in between the periods with uh, Steve Levy and Mark Messier and Chris Chelios. Brian, thank you so much. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the game. Thanks. We will. There he is, Brian Boucher, on the call of the game. When we come back, we'll break down all of the big stories. I take a big side. Big stories out of the Raiders game, the two-point call, Devontae Adams knocking someone down at the stadium. Of course, the officials. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Is the momentum getting on our side and then just get our jugglers ripped out because ref, it's ignorance. The ref number 51 shouldn't even be able to wear a zebra jersey ever again. He shouldn't even be able to wear a f- footlocker. You're listening to Cofield and Company.
on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, that was an old clip of Travis Kelsey complaining about the officials <laughs> and uh, Carl Cheffers, but it applies to last night. Uh, clearly, players aren't supposed to speak like that, but both sides were completely annoyed. We'll get to that in 15 minutes. Adam Hill, Steve Cofield, Sierra Gold on Eastern. We're getting ready for the opening of the Golden Knights season. We're going to give away a pair of tickets to a future VGK home game before 7 o'clock, so come on down. Enjoy all the great specials here. They've got their hockey specials rolling out at uh, all PT's locations. Are we up to 70 yet? 60-plus. <laughs> Food specials like the Animal Tots for 4 bucks, uh, good buys on uh, tenders and fries, pretzel dog and fries, uh, chicken, uh, chicken empanadas, and also uh, bucket specials, 2 bucks off micheladas and uh, pints, or micheladas and pints of Modelo. Again, it's Adam, it's Cofield. Crazy night last night, crazy night. That is a game the Raiders could have won, should have won. They did themselves in on a couple of fronts. I think they got screwed big time by the officials, but... Adam, let's start out by talking about the two-point conversion because I know you're really strong in these decisions. Whether that's truly analytics or not, we can get into, but uh, let's, let's roll right out with what Josh McDaniel said. Today he spoke to the media around 11.45, and uh, in between kind of restarting and resetting, I, God, I wish he would have an answer ready to go. And it's like, I just think from a delivery standpoint, if you stand up there confidently and explain why you went for two. So we kind of helped them out here. Uh, I'll admit the Vast Sound crew kind of clipped this up a little bit. Here's what McDaniel said about going for two. We were having a little trouble stopping them a little bit on defense. You know, in the second half, they had kind of got it rolling a little bit on us. Just felt like if we could score, and again, we happened to score a little quicker than maybe I was thinking or hoping we would. We had kind of already decided that we were probably going to do that, you know, when we went out there on the field to begin the possession. You know, and if you gain possession of the lead at that point, it forces them to potentially try to get into field goal range or score a little bit quicker, you know, because they're behind. Do you get it? So that was a two-pointer. They're down 30-29. There's not a whole lot of time left in the game. They go for two, and obviously conventional thinking throughout all time of football is, hey, it's 30-29, just kick the extra point, take the safe route. As you argue, a lot of times the safe route is actually the risky route sure. by the numbers. So did you like his explanation today? Um, somewhat, because here's the thing. There's, there's really not an explanation. Um, it, it's – what he has to say was just a gut feel, and that's kind of what he's saying there. Right. Because here's the wacky, crazy thing that I think everybody might be stunned by. That wasn't analytics that was telling him to do that. Yeah, I didn't think so. In fact, analytics, uh, If you, I, I ran a couple of the models uh, this morning. Um, most of them say slightly, like by 0.2 percentage points to kick the extra point. When, uh, when I ran the numbers or just simply looked at Football Outsiders um, – with 427 left after the touchdown, two-point conversion in terms of giving them the best chance to win, two-point conversion was 37.9%. Point after, just go traditional, 36.3%. So really no difference. No, and though that's when, and people a lot of times when people are like, what about old-fashioned old feel? And yeah, like that's, okay, well, that's what go. that is. When the analytics are kind of even and split, that's when you go with your feel, and that's what he there did. He went with the feel. You know, here's the wackiest, craziest part of this whole discussion. It worked. It worked. They didn't get it. But by kicking an extra point, what is your ultimate – like I saw people say this last night. If they just would have kicked the extra point, they would, would have gone to overtime. First of all, you don't know that. The Chiefs would have played that differently. They probably would have been more – definitely would have been more aggressive. They didn't even throw a pass beyond the line of scrimmage. 
on their drive because they were ahead. They were trying to kill the clock. They weren't aggressive. They most likely would have gone and scored. But let's ignore that. Let's just say that what is the ultimate goal if you go to overtime, which is what people were talking about, right? You could have gone to overtime. The ultimate goal in overtime is to have the ball with a chance to win with a field goal, right? Isn't that the ultimate goal that you want in overtime? They got that. They had the ball with a chance to win with the field goal. That's what they got. Much better. Like in overtime, you have to rely on a coin toss, probably getting a stop or needing a touchdown if you get the ball first. Like there's all these factors that go into overtime, which is why you try to avoid overtime in the first place. But there's all these factors that go into an overtime situation. Ultimately, all you can ask for in overtime is to have the ball with a chance to kick a field goal to win the game. That's the ultimate goal. And they got that. So even if you want to be a a results-based thinker, which we've talked about is the lowest form of thinking, you got what you wanted. So where's the problem? What would you have done? With 427, I probably would have kicked the extra point. Right. It's a lot of time. But I don't have a huge problem with it. I mean, the, 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 what's lost in a lot of this discussion is there were some much more horrific decisions that were made. I mean, Josh McDaniel kicking a field goal on fourth, fourth and yep. one, up that's, 14 in the first quarter? That's what bothers me is let's, let's just use traditional language on it that going for two there or going for fourth and short, that those are gambling. I know you hate that, but – I know. That's non-traditional. We're going to call it gambling. If you're going to do that, I think you need to do it consistently. And as I watch the game, I'm like, my God, we talked for years about John Gruden and that field goals don't beat the Chiefs. And they played for too many field goals throughout the game. So then what you're set up with is the end of the game scenario, which I also want to get to the Devonta Adams catch or no catch. No catch, right? No. I thought it was, I thought it was no. pretty easy. Very, very clear. No catch. He, he he bobbled the ball as his foot then extended out of bounds, so that's easy. Now, I want to bring this one up because I haven't seen really too many people break it down because a lot of people were banging on Adams. By the way, the Packers fans who now don't <laughs> like Devontae Adams, yeah. boy, that says a lot about your fan base. And that's why guys like Devontae run as quickly as they can to get the hell out of town. And I'll repeat what I've said for the last couple of years. Enjoy this final swan song. I thought it was coming a couple of years ago. Because when you don't have A-Raj, you are going to be miserable jerks. Because you've just gone through 30 years of Favre and Rodgers and being relevant. You're going to be irrelevant pretty soon. That said, when we talk about decisions throughout the game, players have to execute. And Devontae Adams could not be more open on that play. And if the ball is thrown a little more inside, I haven't seen the all-22, uh, you know, what it looked like upstairs. I know a defensive back you know, tried to tackle him and kind of fell in front of his feet. If that ball's thrown a little bit better, slightly shorter and inside a little bit, is there a chance he goes to the house or at least 15 yards? And I know they're trying to get out of bounds. That said, they, I think it was 48 seconds left on the clock. The Derek Carr throw, while many of them were brilliant, like the, the, the 1v2 that he threw for the, the second touchdown, Adams was a freaking awesome in-the-basket catch. That wasn't a great throw. It forced Devontae Adams to have to extend too far, and go out of bounds. I didn't yeah. love the throw. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't love it. But, I, I mean, I think the, the point that you made was that they were so concerned for some reason with that much time of getting out of bounds that he was trying it was to get third it and the, one I know. with 48 seconds left. I know. If you got the first down, you can run up and spike it. You got time. 
yeah. throw a little better ball, and none of this is a factor. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And look uh, to your to your point, and I don't 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 need to get too into the weeds on it. Like the throw on that deep throw when it was two, when he had double coverage yeah. was incredible, but it was also unbelievable. but also as I watched it again today, like eight times, yeah. it was. It was a perfect throw because Devontae Adams made it a perfect throw. He right. slowed down and stopped. He stopped the the defensive back while timing his pace by slowing down to make sure the the ball dropped right into his breadbasket. So it was a yeah, great throw, but it was also yeah. a great great work. It was great by both of them. I'm not, I'm not yeah. taking away anything from either one of them. I'm just saying sometimes receivers make the throws look better than they even are. Uh, but incredible throw too. Um, but in, in that case on the sideline, like, yeah, you want him to hold on to it and catch it, but it also could have been placed a little bit better. It also was a, you know, a crazy time in the game where, you know, you're not going to have everything perfect, uh, in that spot, but yeah, everybody, everybody has things that they could have done. Look on the, on the two point conversion and Josh Jacobs, I know talked about it last night, but the, how many times we've now talked about, don't stretch the ball to the goal line right. because you don't want to fumble it. Well, in that situation, who cares if you fumble it? Yeah. So you can stretch the ball out. And Josh Jacobs said after the game, I don't know what I was thinking. I'm so drilled to not stretch the ball out that I didn't stretch the ball out. And I could have because there's no harm in fumbling there. So, like, there's all these little things that can change the perception of what you think of calls in the game. And, like, hey, maybe – and, by the way, on the on the uh, two-point conversion play that they handed to Jacobs, uh, Devontae Adams ran one of the most insane, like, fake routes I've ever seen where he just walked out like he wasn't even going to try to do anything and then took off. And if they would have play action instead of instead of handing off there, he was wide open. <laughs> like there's all these little things that could have changed and been different and uh and, and, but about the execution, not about the decision making. All right. all that analytics can do and again, the going for two is not analytics. So stop with that. But the the all the decisions that are made, all the analytics, everything that can be in there, all you're trying to do as a coach and all you're trying to do by using analytics is give your team a percentage or two percent chance better to win. That's all you're trying to do. Right. And all you can do is put them in that position. They still have to make the plays. And there was a couple of plays that they left on the field that the decisions, maybe you've been right, maybe you think they're wrong or whatever, but they probably were right decisions that just weren't quite executed properly. God, I so hate the show sometimes. I know. Right? Why? We should come on and be screaming and yelling about two-point conversions. We should. Because that's what most shows will do. Uh, Dude, what, but I can't do it. What I, can't, was, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't that bothered by it. And I knew you wouldn't be bothered by it. I just wasn't that bothered by it. On the way back, though, I'll give you some stuff I was bothered by. Okay. We'll get to Devontae Adams on the push. And the officiating, while I try to be understanding about how hard the job is, again, the inconsistency of the staff led by this Carl Cheffers, and the fact that they come in as the most over-officious group. Every year they're ranked as one of the groups that throws the most flags, and they did it again, and they were all over the map. Wednesdays, it's the Marcus Arroyo Radio Show at 6 p.m. right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Snap is down. Kick is a line drive heading towards the uprights. And it sneaks over. Matthew Wright with a line drive 59-yarder to end the first half. They will head to the locker room as the Raiders race off the field with trash being thrown at them. And I think Max Crosby just threw some of it back into the stands. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. 
That's funny hearing that one. We're going to get to Devontae Adams and his action after the game, but uh, real rich of Chief fans to talk about, uh, you know, now Devontae Adams is really a Raider because he uh, pushed the guy down to the ground. Meanwhile, look around, and some of your dirtbag brethren in the crowd throwing stuff at the Raiders at the half, and you think there'll be a, a mass movement amongst Chiefs fans to point out who those fans were and get them banned from the stadium? No, no. that won't happen And uh, until I stand corrected and I see some evidence of that. Nothing will happen. That's Horowitz on the call there. So much to get into. The two-point decision, 30-29. A lot of people are pissed off at Josh McDaniels. They're 1-4 now. The Raiders are 1-4 with a bye week on the way. The officiating for both sides was horrific at times, inconsistent, and even if you're a Raiders backer, you could see what happened with Derek Carr <laughs> and Chris Jones was absurd. It of just course. was. Of course. So what happened on the play? Because there's, I, I want to understand the rules here. If you strip sack someone, you take possession in one motion, how do you not get the ball? Even if there is a penalty for flopping all your weight onto the player you take it away from, especially if it's a quarterback. Well, he's still technically in th- in throwing motion. He's still a protected passer. Like, think about it if, if the ball's away, right? If he's already right. thrown the pass. Okay, but you get what I said, though, right? If you take the, the ball away. The, the flop in the weight is after a strip sack, a fumble, and a, you know, a strip sack fumble and possession. Right. But he had possession. It could also be, I mean, just think about it. If What if the, pick, what if the throw had already been intercepted? Same thing, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. The ball doesn't matter no, in this situation. Yeah. No, because yeah, I mean, generally the ball will be out. You flop, you destroy the guy with your weight, then the ball is caught. In this case, the ball is out and possessed I, before I, the player. Now, again, that might be the rule that it's all one continuous play, and if a foul happens on the play, yeah, I mean, look, then the, the foul supersedes everything. You're thinking of interception down the field. Like, what if what if the guy throws the pass? It's intercepted by the defensive lineman. And you hit him and fall on him. It's still roughing the passer. It's still there. Like okay, that didn't that happen. So we're, let's let's talk about a fumble, possessing a fumble. Like if we know the rule and that, and we'll ask Miles Simmons later on if that's the rule, then I can I can deal with it. Well, and I guess the bigger not thing a, here there's is, not a specific rule on that. That's that's why while the rule is while the guy is still a passer, which he still is because he, the throwing motion is not completed. He hasn't converted to being a tackler yet. Right. He's still a passer, so it's the same as it would be with an interception. That's the that's. The, how the rule is. So that's it sucks, but here's the thing. He didn't put his body weight on him. He braced it, which is something they're supposed to look for, that he put his left hand down to brace it. Put his left hand down, yeah. So he braced it, and it was it's obviously a ridiculous call, but if he hadn't braced it, it probably should have been called still roughing the passer, but it wasn't. Right. He didn't. He did try to brace it. Um, it. It's silly that that's a penalty. Now, there is language in the rule that says – that the to be a foul, it has to be something that's not that is not part of the play, because there was something brought up yesterday. Let's say Carr would have fumbled at his feet, right? The ball drops to his feet. Now you're a defensive player that dives on the ball to try to get the fumble, right? Are you going low on the quarterback, right? So there is kind of language in there to offset that. Where it's like, hey, if you if you're trying to recover a fumble, it doesn't say that specifically. What it says is not part of a football play. But if you're trying to recover a fumble and you hit the quarterback low, is that still roughing? I don't think they would call it, but technically maybe it should be. The bottom line is they need they need to change it. They need to be able to look at it. They need to make these decisions. And as as I've said, look, they clearly went into makeup call mode. Totally. And if you're a Raiders fan, 
whose reaction to the bad call was, oh, well, things happen. You can't complain anymore. Right. You're done. You're out. That's why I say this all the time. People think it's so dumb, and I know you've scoffed at it. You should be just as outraged. When a call goes your way, that's a bad call. Be outraged about that. Don't celebrate and be like, ha-ha, that's how it goes. That's how the game is. Because you have no right to say anything then. I think I want to throw a flag on you claiming that I've scoffed at it. I think I've scoffed at your delivery. Sure. Because you, you, you turn it, you get that whole, oh, well. Crazy fan. Dumb, that, but dumb that's what people are saying. I saw yeah. it all over Twitter last night. <laughs> terrible call. It's, a, it's yeah. obviously a terrible <laughs> yeah. call. And then Raiders fans are like, oh, well, that's what happens. Deal with it. <laughs> like, okay, you Fourth deal quarter. with it now because Fourth you got screwed. Around. So deal yeah. with it. Then, then what happens? Because Adam did call it. He's like, watch the rest of the game. Uh, what was it? A, a Hollins? Uh, the Hollins OPI, yeah. he said. But expect several more calls to go against the Raiders in the second half. The refs almost certainly heard from the league about how badly they screwed up uh, during the first half. Uh, they had heard from the league during the halftime intermission. Do you actually believe that? That someone from the league comes to them and they're like, uh, "That was a terrible first half. We're just we're not telling you what to do, but that was bad." No, but I th- I think they shouldn't do that. That's no, that, that's, t- NBA, that's NBA. That's NBA. Uh, that's Stern's NBA. They might not say, "Hey, even it out," but I think they show him the call. Oh boy! And say, "Look, here's why the fans are mad. Here's what's going on. Here's I mean, you screwed this up. You you bought you gave you gave the Raiders a ten point swing in their favor." Cheffers was like. <laughs> Crying, weeping, all broken up on Mike, trying to make calls later in the game. It was, it was bad, and just by, getting by the way, booed. They, they even. I'm trying to think. They got a. Maybe they got a holding call against the Raiders. They got some kind of call late, and the fans were booing so much. I don't think they heard the call that actually went in their favor. And then you could hear a smattering of of applause. Or like, oh, oh, we got yeah, a call. We got it. We got but it. But they were so mad for so long. It was basically like the. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Your point guard throwing up an air ball, and they were just going to chant air ball the rest of the game. It didn't matter what happened. We hate that guy. Ben Simmons at the park. Oh, boy. Well, that was uh, bad. Yeah. I don't know what he was doing. Uh, like, come on, <laughs> bro. You're always on camera. Yes. You can't be doing that. Um, but, yeah, but yes, but that, I mean, you, you lose the right to get outraged at that point. Unless you say, hey, look, that was a bad call. That sucks. That sucks. It shouldn't happen. Uh, when, you're, when you're saying, hey, that's part of the game, then it's part of the game when they do the makeup calls, which are so dumb. And how many makeup calls do you need to make up for 10 points? I guess we found out because it was six that they gave them on – or excuse me, it was three, uh, six points, yeah, that they gave them on the, uh, on the holding on the field goal kick. But it's defensive just, holding on a field goal. Okay. But that clearly was a makeup. But it's only six as opposed to 10 in the other case, so it wasn't quite enough. So now do you have to keep doing more. Makeup calls are ridiculous and dumb and shouldn't be a part of the game. But you know they're going to happen. And you have to. And you, if you're not mad when the call goes your way, then you have no right to be mad when it goes against you. You lose that right. Sorry, you just do. And that's Chris that's Jones what happened. The, sorry, Chris Jones was the one who was uh, flagged on the roughing the passer after he uh, essentially pulled off a strip sack. Listen to how frustrated it is in the uh, the post game. He's like, we got to have some change. I actually stripped the ball and gravity kind of took me to the ground. And that's a rough and a passer call in a critical situation in the game. It started now. We're down 10 points. I'm trying my best. I'm 340, 25 pounds, okay? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'm, I'm running full speed trying to get the quarterback. I hit the ball. What you want me to do? I brace my, my hands. Does he have a weight clause? He, he noticed he screwed up there. He's like, I'm 340, 25. Uh, 25. Don't, tell the, don't tell the trainers and the bosses. Something 25, like 325. 
Well, I don't want to. Well, there's actually a rule: if you're over three thirty, then it's automatically roughing if you fall on the quarterback. So <laughs> he, probably wanted, is. he wanted to make sure that oh, that was the case. Official with the officials, but yeah. I, I, I believe it was eight straight penalties on the Raiders after that. And then the one they threw on the Chiefs was the one where his voice cracked, where he comes on the mic. He's like, "There's, there's no foul for holding. <laughs> We're not going to do that. <laughs> We're going to pick up the flag. There's no call for holding. Sorry." He just didn't want things thrown at him. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. Play action, Mahomes. Dumps it through to the end zone. And it's caught by Kelsey again! Grabs it all alone. Tosses it to the sideline. His Touchdown of the night, and the Chiefs' lead extends to seven, 30 to 23. Now back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Hockey tonight. We're going to be Pierre Gold. We're here right now. We're doing the live show on Eastern. Remember the old uh, T-Birds location? Yeah, on Eastern. Right near Serene, Sierra Gold, food and uh, beer start as low as 4 bucks. ton of specials all year long for hockey. And then we've also got Golden Knights tickets for a home game coming up. Uh, also, uh, going to give away some uh, Sierra Gold gift cards. But get here before 7 o'clock. The puck drops at 7. We're on until 6 o'clock. It's Adam and Steve. Let's talk a little more about the game last night from the Chiefs' side of things. And I'm going to... I'm going to let Will Shields kind of direct where this conversation goes because I think there's a lot of different things we can talk about. Will Shields, one of the all-time great linemen for the Chiefs, is up with Cofield and Company here in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Uh, not that happy. We're not Raiders fans, but it was a weird game last night. And I, I think there's a lot of Chiefs fans who I'm sure, they're, I'm sure they're happy they won, but they're probably angry. What would you Give me the biggest talking point you got out of the game last night. You know, I think the biggest talking point, I think, is the simple fact that, you know, you, you start, you know, it's start to finish. And that's that's one thing about it is, you know, if you're going to come out and, you know, do certain things, you make sure you finish it. And I think a lot of teams are, are having that problem of being able to, you know, finish the game off the way they start. And it's sort of like they go in the law. And that's from both sides. I think, you know, Kansas City started a little slower. They weren't, you know, weren't sure what was going to happen. Sort of got hit in the mouth. And then, you know, after that, they sort of woke up and, and you know, did well and finished the game off stronger than when they started. So it was one of those uh, cat-and-mouse things, and I think, you know, the Raiders have had a hard time finishing the game off, and I, I think that's one of those things that's tough on both sides. Um, you know, of course, you know, we, we're happy to get the win. It was, it was a tough one and an ugly one, but, you know, you end up with the W, it's always a good thing. I guess when you talk about end-of-game situations, as a player, how much of that is – what you do and how much of it is is somewhat fluky. You know, last year we didn't think the Raiders were that good of a team, but they went seven and one in close games. Somehow found a way to be on the right side every week. This year they seem like they are pretty good, but they're all going against them. They're zero and four in close games. So, like, yeah. what? I guess what can you do in that situation, or is it just kind of there, there's some luck element to it at the end? There's a little luck in there, but it's also a mentality of you know your playmakers make plays when when it's when it has to happen. And I think right now, you know, just like, you know, at the end of the game, you had two guys that were really trying to make a play and it ends up being in the wrong places at the wrong time. Uh, and that comes with continuity and, and trusting that, you know, hey, if it's meant to go to a specific person, 
let that person do what they need to do. And, and I think that's the hard part of just, hey, let me get the ball to the person who's supposed to get it, get out of the way, let them do what they're going to do, um, especially when you're pushing really hard. You're trying really hard to make some things happen. Uh, and, and that's always a tough thing instead of just letting it come to you organically also. So last night, I guess, you know, as you, you probably uh, check out the offensive line uh, like I do, maybe more than others. Was, was Were you concerned about the offensive line coming out of that game for the Chiefs, the way they could not handle Max Crosby? Or did you like kind of some of the adjustments? I mean, they had to keep some guys in uh, and, you know, throw some extra help there, but they figured it out eventually. Yeah, I like that they actually gave the guys help. They didn't leave them on the island, and they sort of pick and choose when they, you know, took their took their uh, targets. And that's what you have to do some some days. I mean, you got to realize Max Crosby is, is nobody to sort of sneeze at. He is very good. He's active, and he hustles. He he does the things that drive linemen crazy. He never stops moving. He never stops trying. And so you need that help sometimes on certain players. And so you got the game plan for it. Uh, I think in the first half that, you know, the Chiefs weren't ready. They weren't ready for him. So they had to make adjustments to try to, you know, help compensate for where you where you weren't ready for at the beginning of the game. And they sort of did that, you know, well enough to be able to pull off the win, you know, as the game went along. Um, but, yeah, there's always concern about me with the offensive line on either side, just watching them play and going, okay, can can you hold up long enough? Can you make enough runs to get things done to win the game? And, that, and that's the name of the game. And if you got to keep people in, you got to do it. Will Shields joining us, for, former chief uh, on the show with us today, breaking down what happened last night with Kansas City and the Raiders. Uh, uh, look, Pat Mahomes is Pat Mahomes. He's, he's great. He makes great plays. Travis Kelsey was uncoverable in the red zone last night. Uh, but do you think this team, with uh, as they're trying to figure things out, is going to get significantly better between now and the end of the year? You talking about the Chiefs team? Yeah, I think so um, because there were still some you know glaring uh, issues that didn't come to fruition. I mean, Kelsey was unbelievable in, in the red zone. I mean, you, you never seen somebody that has four touchdowns and yet only twenty five yards. <laughs> uh, you know, that's you know a crazy stat within itself. Uh, but fortunately, he had, you know, um, I think uh, Scanlon stepped up and played an unbelievable game. And you still have a couple of guys that's missing that didn't have the greatest games. Um, and you still got to get healthy. I mean, you still didn't have Trey Smith in there playing uh, that right guard spot. And so there's always room to improve. Um, but it's, you know, improving in the right way in the right time and making sure that you're still spreading the ball around and you don't get stuck with, okay, I'm going to this guy every other time because sooner or later somebody's going to figure out a way to take him away. And so, But if you keep it moving around enough, it, it sort of makes it hard on defenses if you can keep moving the ball and also run yourself every once in a while. And that's something that you know Patrick has done You know, in the first half a little bit of the game. He had to run a little bit uh, just to make sure that they account for you too. And, and it makes a difference if everybody's a weapon somewhere on the field. It's easy to say this in retrospect, but going into the game yesterday, I was concerned about Kansas City's, I guess focus might not be the right word, but maybe attention uh, to this game, knowing what the Raiders' record was, knowing that they played Tampa Bay last week and they're playing Buffalo next week. I thought it was a terrible spot. It's easy to say now, hey, they came out, they might, might not have been focused. Is that a real thing in the NFL? I mean, is there is there times where you just don't have – that maybe same intensity because you have situations where, hey, big game last week, big game next week, maybe maybe we're not all there this week? Well, you do have the ebb and flow. I mean, you know, you, you get up for one game and you're like over the top of the moon and you're <laughs> going a million miles an hour and everything clicks. 
the next week you could still feel a million miles an hour and everything is terrible, <laughs> um, you know, because of what they're doing to you and what, and what happens. Uh, you know, my, my big concern for, la- for the game on Monday night was how much, how much Jacobs we were going to get, you know, and it can, can we hold up long enough to stop it and slow it down? Um, you know, between him and Adams, we knew, I knew that there was going to be, you know, a tough thing to do, but also on the other side of, you know, what things were going to be there defensively. And it showed up in the first half for sure. Um, but, you know, I think the team settled in and, you know, I think they sort of got that chip on their shoulder after being punched in the mouth in the first half and came out, you know, in the second half, right at the end of the second half going in and going, well, wow, we, we got to wake up and make some things happen. And, and, and it just so happened to, you know, turn the tide a little bit, I guess. What, you, you mentioned Jacobs, obviously a big game. Going in, uh, Chiefs' run defense looked really, really good on paper. Uh, didn't look so great yesterday. Is that a concern? You know, I think it's all good. I mean, <laughs> Jacobs is what he is. I mean, and, and I've followed him for a long time. He's a great player and always love watching him run the ball. And I think, you know, it, it's tough to stop him. In, I don't care who you, who you put on that other side. Uh, when your line is clicking and he's, he's running the way he was last night, it's going to be tough to stop him. Um, so, you know, they say it's feast or famine, that, that kind of thing. But, no, you just sort of manage it. And, you know, you don't really worry about the concerns of, oh, well, you know, if one guy has a good game or a bad game because he's that good of a back. He, you know, it's not like you're going to shut him down. Uh, we, we talked about the, uh, the Chiefs and how they could look by the end of the year. Uh, getting a look at the Raiders, how good do you think this team is and, and how, how much potential do they have? Even though they're 1-4, and four, they do have a softer part of the schedule coming up. Uh, does this team still have a chance to get where they want to go? They do. They're, they're, you know, their record doesn't show how good they really are. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of settling in and understanding that the pieces that you have, you know, just let them do what they do and not try to force certain things or make other things happen. You know, sort of, you know, live by what you what you know. You know, run the ball a little bit here and there, play action here and there, get your one-on-one shots, take your shots and, and make things go. And, you know, and leave it at that and not try to do anything extra or anything over the top to make anything spectacular because you got the athletes to do it. Um, I think one of the keys is, is getting Waller healthy. Uh, getting him back healthy and on the field because he's that guy in the middle that can make things happen. That could make you now another troubled area between him and 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 the other wideouts that you got that that uh, the Raiders have. So Will Shields, great great stuff for sure. We got about a minute left. All eyes on Kansas City this week. What happens, Bills and Chiefs? I think it's going to be you know one of those tough games. Uh, I mean, you know, as they say, we we hope everybody shows up so that we can have another barn burner like they did last week. Uh, but watching the Bills play uh, last weekend, man, they're on fire. They're getting healthy at the right time, and uh, Josh Allen is spreading the ball around pretty well, and, and he's playing he's you know playing at the top of his game. So it'll be a tough game. It'll be uphill, that's for sure, uh, for Kansas City to get get the W that they want to get, but. You know, like anything else, you know, the ball bounces certain ways at the beginning of the game, and you're just hoping that you can make things happen. There you go. Will, where can people check you out? Uh, you can go to willshills.com or go to the willtosucceed.org. Perfect. Great, great stuff, man. We appreciate it. No problem. You guys have a good one. Yes, sir. You too. There bro. he is. Will Shields, nice enough to uh, join us. Sorry to cut you off, Adam, as we're hanging out here at uh, Sierra Gold. Eastern and Serene. Tonight is the opener for VGK. It's on the road against the Kings. They've got a ton of different giveaways. They've got a cool gaming giveaway that we'll tell you about with some uh, jerseys available at actually every location for PTs and Sierra Gold and, and such. Tonight, though, here 
you get a chance to meet Chance, Adam's favorite mascot in all of sports. Also, the uh, Viva Vegas VGK cheerleaders are going to be here. I don't know which ones are going to show up, Adam, but uh, between Bevelina, Brianna, and Brittany, I'm down with all of them. <laughs> On their page, they were all asked what you would sing at karaoke night. Bevelina says, I'd sing any song, but Post Malone's recent album makes me really want to sing. Brianna said, Bye 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 from NSYNC. Brittany said, I want it that way from Backstreet Boys. Adam, Backstreet Boys, right? No, NSYNC. Bye Bye Bye. I forgot that you're a, an NSYNC Stan. devotee. Come on down. Eastern, <laughs> near Serene, Sierra Gold on Eastern. We're watching hockey tonight.